0: We are here today to celebrate the life of a great man. Of all the great men and women who have ever lived, he is the greatest by far, no close second. You don't have to be a Christian to acknowledge that. In fact, if you combine the influence and the reach of all the great people who have done great things in history, it would all pale in comparison to his reach. If you think about what's happening today speaks to his astounding influence in itself. Thousands, probably tens of thousands of people right now are taking time to celebrate his life as part of our celebration here at Nativity. Millions more in our country and billions around the world will do the same. We're celebrating the life of a man who grew up in obscurity, in an impoverished outpost of the Roman Empire. He never wrote a book, held political office, commanded an army, or headed a company. He was not wealthy. He held no titles or degrees. He commanded no authority or power. He didn't even have a permanent address. His life ended in a historically humiliating fashion, condemned as a criminal, and nailed to a cross. On the day after Jesus' death, it looked as if whatever small mark he might have made would quickly disappear. His friends and followers fled. His opponents celebrated. What happened? Well, Peter describes what happened in a passage we just read from the Acts of the Apostles. He went about doing good and healing all those oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to what he did. He went about doing good and great things, people noticed. His popularity grew, and that irritated and annoyed the religious and political leaders of Judea. So, they conspired with the Roman government to put him to death. Now, normally when someone dies, whoever they are, their impact and influence begins inevitably to recede. But Jesus inverted this usual trajectory. Jesus' impact was actually greater after his death than during his life, greater 100 years later, greater still 1,000 years later, even greater still 2,000 years later. And his influence is not limited to his followers. Influence Influence is force. It's a compelling force affecting the actions and behaviors, the opinions and thinking of others, and eventually the outcomes they experience. And regardless of, of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant influence in the history of Western culture for 20 centuries. In some ways, our biggest challenge actually comes in appreciating and understanding that influence. We take take it all for granted. We take for granted the myriad ways in which our world has been shaped by him. His influence is ubiquitous. Just Just look at a map. Places like San Francisco, San Diego, San Antonio, Corpus Christi, Philadelphia, Maryland, they're all Christian names. Many of the greatest achievements in architecture have been accomplished to honor him and his followers. Notre Dame in Paris, St. Peter's in Rome, our own Basilica here in Baltimore. He's inspired the greatest artistic geniuses, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Caravaggio, the greatest musical geniuses, Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, the greatest scientific geniuses, Copernicus and Galileo, people who have changed society and culture and law because of their belief in him, Rosa Parks, Mother Teresa, all people of faith who use their genius to give expression to their faith and inspire others. Jesus Christ's influence has swept over history like the tail of a comet with profound impact, with profound influence on how we live, how we work, how we organize ourselves. Hospitals and healthcare, childcare, social services, even things as basic as monogamy and democracy have their deep roots in Christianity as Christ followers put their faith into action. And while we underestimate Jesus' influence on so many areas, perhaps more than any other area, more than anything else, we underestimate how Jesus influenced the view we have toward one another, specifically Jesus changed and influenced our cultural view of leadership, of women, and of children. How we exercise leadership, how we treat women, and how we relate to children. Really? Really? Think about it. In the ancient world, leadership was all about power. You pursued power so that you could be large and in charge. So, you got to tell other people what to do and you didn't have to do anything you didn't want to do. In other words, leadership was entirely self-serving. And while often it's unfortunately still the case that far too many self-serving leaders in the world, it was Jesus who introduced and modeled the concept of servant leadership. He introduced the idea that leaders should actually care for the people under their charge. Leaders should serve and sacrifice for their followers. At one point, he addresses this quite directly. You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Nobody would have taken exception to this description. Everybody would have readily agreed with it because that's simply the way it was. They would not have taken offense at this, but they would take offense at what he says next. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. He changed how we view the exercise of leadership. He changed how we are to exercise leadership. At the same time, he changed how we treat women. Judaism was actually unusual and unique in the ancient world in teaching that women, as well as men, fully bear the image and likeness of God and stand with men as partners. That's what we read about in Genesis. But that didn't often get translated into anything when it comes to the actual, when it came to the actual lived experience of most women in Jewish society. They were second-class citizens at best. It was Jesus of Nazareth who put this teaching into practice in a radical way. Not only in the honor and respect he accorded his own mother and the fraternal friendship that he formed with a number of women we read about in Scripture, but most strikingly of all, by inviting women into his inner circle to follow him along with men as his disciples or students. To say the least, that was unheard of. It was unthinkable. Likewise, he completely upended attitudes toward children in ways that today we take for granted. In the ancient world, children were held in no esteem by society at large, with the exception of the firstborn son of noble families. Children were held in no esteem. In poorer families, until they were old enough to work, children were considered a liability. And if they became too much of a liability, they were considered expendable. Unwanted children were often left simply to die by neglect or exposure. Children were needy and dependent, vulnerable and defenseless, and more or less disposable. Of course, tragically, there are far too many people who still today exhibit abusive behavior toward children, but again, Jesus came along and said the unexpected about children. He said, let the little children come to me and do not prevent them, for it is to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs. In another place, he went even further. Unless you become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Not only are children welcome and valued in God's kingdom, it turns out as adults... We have a lot to learn from them. The concept. The concept that every person, including women and children, has dignity and value and worth, and that it is the job of leadership to guarantee and assure those rights, those were new ideas. In the whole long history of the world, those were New ideas, largely unknown before Christ. So how did this all happen? How did Jesus have such an overwhelming impact on human history? Well, while, while it's true, Jesus never wrote a book or held political office or commanded an army. He did do something entirely original and enduring, which eventually had Worldwide reach. He started a movement. He called it the Ecclesia. What's that? Well, Ecclesia is a Greek word for a gathering, a group of people who come together on behalf of the larger community with the intention of influencing and impacting that larger community. Think of A town hall meeting the Ecclesia isn't only about or even primarily uh, about the people in the Ecclesia it's about primarily the people who aren't in the Ecclesia Jesus started a movement like that by the way Ecclesia is translated in English as church on Good Friday that Ecclesia movement seemed completely dead nailed to a cross but that's not what happened something else happened something else happened that he gave life to jesus ecclesia and as a consequence to the influence that he would have on human history as peter describes to us again from that passage in acts they put him to death by hanging him on a tree this man god raised on the third day and granted that he be visible not to all people but to us the witnesses chosen by God in advance who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Jesus' movement was dead, but then he rose from the dead. Peter and others saw it. One account says that over 500 people witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. Some of them ate and drank with him. They hung out and had dinner with him after he had been crucified. We are here today to celebrate the person of Jesus Christ and our belief that he rose from the dead. But the story actually goes on. He commissioned us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. The good news of the resurrection validated all that Jesus had taught. It sets him up as the ultimate authority in human history because if a man can predict his own death and then rise from the dead, that's a man worth listening to. That's a leader worth following. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead, he commissioned his friends and followers to launch that ecclesia, specifically by sharing the good news of the resurrection specifically by sharing what they themselves had seen and heard, what they themselves had experienced, how they themselves had changed. He commissioned them to dream big. Dream big, but think little. What does that mean? Well, Jesus' basic instruction to his friends and followers was simple. Make disciples. Sounds good, right? But where? How many told us that too? Go and make disciples of all nations. That's big. That's big thinking. He sent them out with this huge dream to bring everyone everywhere into that ecclesia into a loving relationship with the living Lord. And that's his charge to us this Easter Sunday. Dream big, but think little. Use your influence. Use the influence you've got right here, right now, to bring the people you know into that loving relationship with the living Lord, or at least a little closer. And just watch what big changes can follow. Jesus has influenced this world more than any other human being who's ever lived, and he invites his friends to be people of influence as well. 2,000 years ago, the first followers of Jesus turned the world upside down. Through their humble service and witness to the resurrection, they changed hearts and minds in the pagan world, and we can change hearts and minds in our world too. So, please... Join us for this series in the weeks ahead because, over the next few weeks, we're going to learn from the example of those first followers. They're going to teach us how we can be people of influence in little ways that have a great big impact in other people's lives.